you join me on my perch at the far end of the bar. Evening, sir. Of course, that, that was a long pause. Were you at the other side of the bar when I was uh, started to talk then? I was trying to uh, remember the corporately agreed greeting that uh, we are required. Did we ever do that? To... Um, uh, now, some, some podcasts, and uh, I understand broadcasts, mm. if you look back into the uh, uh, mysteries of time when people used to broadcast as opposed to podcasts, mm. they would have a form of words which would always uh, open the show. Things Hello, like, good evening, and welcome. There you are. Who was that? Uh, David Frost, I believe. It was. It was David Frost, the entertainer and satirist, as opposed to David Frost, the uh, English lord. No. Fill in whatever you like in that space. Uh, are they different people? Yeah, of course they are. Oh. oh, was, oh was he Sir David Frost, the television Frost? I, well, he? I think he was. Yes, he was. He was never a lord, though. There was a, there was another no, lord frost. There was never never anything lordy about him, apart, apart from the fact that he did like cricket. He was the son of a vicar. Mm. Actually, I think he was the son of a Methodist minister. Oh, well. uh, uh, and what do I know about David Frost? I interviewed him once. Lovely man. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I know that he was the son of a Methodist minister. Um, he was uh, responsible for the two Ronnies. Oh. Well, putting them together. Yeah, putting well, putting them together because he did a program called the Frost Report, mm. uh, and they did sketches, and they had one Ron, and they were looking for somebody else, and then they found the two Rons, and they put them together, and and therefore, David Frost is single-handedly responsible. I say that again, single-handedly mm. responsible. He just used one hand to do he it. He did. Yeah, yeah. He, that's all he needed. He just pushed <laughs> one towards the other, and yeah. they were there. Forevermore. My gut tells me he probably pushed Corbett with one hand. You'd only need one hand for Corbett, wouldn't you? You would. Yeah. You were. Who? Uh, Ronnie Corbett. I once followed Ronnie Corbett. Um, I was walking from a bus station to wherever it was I was going. I was going to say it wasn't Ronnie... in a maze, was it? <laughs> 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 and Ronnie Corbett was walking in front of me, uh, and. Uh, and the thing that I was aware of, more than anything else, was the fact that he kept looking at himself in the reflection in the windows of the shops oh, as he was going past. Good man. Um, but he, he was a very smart Taller in the chap. reflections. Yeah, very, very smart chap. Very smart um, chap. Briefly mentioned a maze there. It reminded me we were on a little family jaunt down to Cornwall last week, uh, 10 days ago or so. Nice. And uh, we actually went in a maze. In, um, it was in um, one of the National Trust estates down there. Let's call it Argarthenbarthen. Okay. And um, it was. You wouldn't be far off, would you? Probably wouldn't. And uh, lovely maze. You could you could see over the top of the uh, hedges. Could you? And we still got lost. Did you? <laughs> um, me and my dad, my dear old dad, um, went. Uh, well, we went as a family to Longleat, and they've got a fine maze mm. at Longleat. Uh, a maze that you can't see over the top of. And we thought, well, we'll go in. The, the girls have gone off to do something else, and the kids. And we thought, well, we'll go in the maze. Mm. So <laughs> we said, well, look, we're going to go, be some time. Obviously, the girls have gone off. We're going to take ages to get into the maze, get to the centre, and then get back out again. Mm. We went in the maze. We turned left, we turned right, we turned right, we turned left, we went round, we, we ended up in the middle. Mm -hmm. And then we went, right, okay, well, that was luck. Now it's going to take us forever to get out. We turned left, we turned right. We went in. 
and we walk straight out again. I oh. swear to God, we walk straight to the middle and straight back out again. By luck or the most judgment? Disapp- well, yes. Yeah. It was the most disappointing thing I've ever done in my life. Oh, However, dear. a couple of years later, we're back at Longlead again. Mm-hmm. No dad this time. And me and my dear lady wife um, approached the entrance to the maze and I said, right, last time we were here, I went in, turned left, turned right, went in, ended up in the middle and then said, right, turn around. And we came, turn left, turn right, turn right, turn left, turn no problem at all. Oh. We were in there for hours. Oh, oh dear. We laughed like drains. We could did not you, find did ourselves. Did you laugh like drains? Yes, we did. Have you did. ever heard a drain laugh? <laughs> <laughs> it's a tremendous sound. And for those people who've never heard a laughing drain, the things that you're missing. Mm. But we were in there for hours. And and there are little posts that you... And, and, Things uh, that if you are if you are hopelessly lost, you can um, you can you can take the uh, the coward's way, and, mm-hmm. and there are little things that will point you to. I can't yeah. How that works actually? They're, they're not little pointers, but there is definitely a coward's way out. Okay, um, but we were in there for ages, and we we could not find our way out, yeah. which is, as I say, the other one was very disappointing. Well, this was very funny, but I did feel a fool. Mm. Well, oh, I know you, my way you? in and out of here. I was here two years ago with my old man. <laughs> well, that'll learn you. Yeah, it, it will. Now, at the end of last week's podcast, yes. um, you referred to your good lady wife as uh, the old girl. No, uh, you, you did. surely you not. Said, I've got to go and get some chips for the old girl. For the old girl. So I'm just wondering, are you, uh, you know, any bruises? Because, <laughs> you know, you deserve you some. <laughs> well, she affectionately calls me oi. Right. If, yep. if I'm lucky. Yes, on a good day. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think hey. we're okay. I think we're okay. We've okay. been together okay. now for 40 years and it don't seem a day too long. That was an old time. We haven't been together quite that long, but... Um, no. Yes. My um, my dad, uh, I rang him the other day, and he's he's a very lovely man. My dad, patience of a saint, uh, you know, must have had to put up with me over the years. See, oh, uh, I thought you were going day. a different way there for a moment. Well and, swerved. Uh, and uh, um, he answered the phone by saying yes. <laughs> I said, "Oh, hello, Dad. That's nice. How are you?" He said, "Ah." Uh, uh, I said it's a lovely greeting. He said, I can't be bothered anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Now, listen, you, uh, you've you walked into the pub, uh, the uh, the rattan thistle, yes. on Pancake Day. I have. So I've, um, I've arranged for you a special pancake uh, feast. So come with me to the back bar, where okay. I'm not sure you've ever been before. Never been um, down there. It's called the Snug. Unless okay. Jacob Rees-Mogg is in, and then it's called the Smug. The smug. So, uh, I for see starters, what he did there, everyone. Uh, for starters, I have for you pancake yes. a la melon ball, a caviar. That's Ooh. the starter for you. How's Ooh. that sound? Okay. Interesting mix. Apart from okay. a bit of that. Melon ball and caviar. Well, I like I like both melon balls and caviar. I never had the two together, and I've no. certainly never had them on a pancake. Mm. Um, responsibly sourced caviar. I must uh, obviously uh, reassure everybody that we worried about that sort of thing. The melon balls are nicked from the farmer. Um, mains. Um, this is called all the days. Mm. Uh, so I've um, I've really put some thought into this. And what I've done is I thought I'm not just going to celebrate Pancake Day. I'm going to celebrate all the days. So the uh, ingredients of this pancake are 
um, the, the stuff that makes up a ploughman's, uh, some haggis, some leeks, and some soda bread. Um, that's all been uh, mixed together lovingly um, in this uh, pancake with some Worcestershire sauce. So, uh, how's that sound? Well, be honest. No, I'm not. I'm not sure that it sounds appetising, but oh. but I would give it a go. You'd give it. I think it sounds I would. Nice. I would give it a go. I don't think there's anything there that I wouldn't eat that I would balk at, whether or not. But then you see. Strange things that go together. You you never know what's going to go together. The cheese with the haggis, the tang of the cheese, the sweetness mm, of the haggis, yeah. the the buttered leeks. Just adding a little bit of. Uh, I'm going to use the word piquancy, like I know what it means. Yeah, they can um, get a bit wet though. The soda bread to mop up any uh, yeah uh, any detritus residue. on the plate. Yeah, residue. Because you, if there's one thing you definitely want in pancakes, it's residue. Yeah. And then for pudding, mm -hmm. um, I've uh, arranged a special delivery of some gooseberries uh, to go in the pancakes. So obviously, when you think of gooseberry, you think of gooseberry fool. And that ties in with the all the days theme, because that is obviously fool's day. Fool's and day. none of it is there at all. No. It's at all a figment of our imagination. Yeah, of course. But uh, wasn't well, what do you think? I mean, I think like you'd have been well fed. I would have been. I, I, you would have been able to bounce a pee on my tummy. Mm. Um, <laughs> Guzgogs, uh, as uh, Guzgogs, as they would have been called when I was growing up. My grandfather oh, really? had a very good patch. A mm -hmm. very, very good patch of goose gogs in a plentiful garden. Yeah. In fact, he had two gardens, really. Um, he had a flower garden, gorgeous roses, and he had a huge vegetable garden. And amongst wow. the vegetables and fruits was a patch of goose gogs. And going down, and my granny always said they were hairy grapes, but mm. you'd go down, you'd pick the goose gogs. Uh, and, of course, a lot of the fruit you could pick and you could eat Mm. With a gooseguog, you only ever did that once because yeah. it's far, far too sour. You have yeah. to sugar it up. Lots and you, of the you, old sugar. You take, you take a bowl of gooseguogs back up to the house, and my gran would, uh, who who had been a cook in her younger days, um, she had been in service uh, in mm. the days when um, when young women did that sort of thing, uh, and she was a cook, uh, and uh, so she knew a thing or two about putting food together, and her gooseberry. Well, not a gooseberry fool, right. a gooseberry crumble. Oh. And and this is where all things um, come back to the previous show. A gooseberry crumble with egg custard. Of course. Of That's course. a given. I didn't think you even needed to tell us about no, the well, egg I, custard. No, I'm, well, I'm sure that everyone would just on, yes, and egg custard. Yes. Of course. I, I like... Like, here he I is, old like... Two Gardens Lewis. Eh? <laughs> well, <laughs> well he was Two Gardens cook. He was... Uh, he, he was a, a fine old gardener, my my, mm. my grandfather. Uh, but but that that uh, that kind of opens the door on, if you like, uh, well, uh, some people would call them school puddings, but I would have said mm. oh, a bit of old fashioned pudding, sort of thing okay. that you you would find in Mrs. Beaton. Um, I I quite <laughs> like a stodgy. You can't have too much, can you? You cannot have too much of a stodgy pudding. Well, I mean. As long as you've got something kind of uh, wet to uh, loosen the stodge, mm. then yes. Oh I yes, agree. there's got to be some fruit involved. Again, mm. my grandmother made a wonderful apple dumpling, a suet mm. dumpling, packed full 
of brown sugar and butter and and several several different kinds of apples apps mm. and the, she'd steam it in a pan and it would be glorious oh. and again covered with yes we know what and in you'd come running in with in your knickerbockers yes in my, with my red side with your <laughs> <hip and laughs> stick I, i've come for my i've come for my <laughs> for my apple dumpling is it ready yet could you put a plaster on my knee because I've fallen off the penny farthing again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Now, <laughs> that sounds lovely. I, I do love those little glimpses of your Victorian childhood. They, they really do they make my heart sing. <laughs> um, have you ever knocked over something in a shop of value? Uh, I haven't. I have been in a shop when something was knocked over. Mm, what a horrible feeling. Yeah. Um, we were in John Lewis. Uh, okay. We were in the uh, furniture department. Mm. Uh, I can't remember what we were looking for. It doesn't matter. Um, but it was around about the time that the teenage Ninja Turtles had come to promise, uh, prominence. Yeah. As opposed to coming to Providence, yes. they probably did go to Providence. But I'm sure there has been. Some they come to Providence. Providence, and uh, there was a kid in the in the uh, furniture department of John Lewis who was doing all the what was it? Cowabunga? Was it? Yeah, uh, Cowabunga, dude. And, it was kind of kung fuish, kind wasn't of it? yeah, lots of kung fu with sticking his arm out, sticking his leg out in that kung fu kind of way. Mm. And what and were his, his parents doing? Were they just well, ignoring him? They and were just him get looking at a sofa. And letting him get on with it. And uh, he's making a lot of noise, so it attracted my attention. It attracted even more attention. There was a beautiful, huge Chinese vase. I mean, Mm -hmm. a real beauty. And it was big. And he he didn't realise it was that close. And he did the cowabunga! And this thing went flying. A thousand pieces. Oh no! And it was like the whole of time stopped. When I was a little boy, nobody remembers this TV show. But when I was a little boy, there was a TV show which came from Australia mm-hmm. called The Magic Boomerang. Okay, right. All you need to know about The Magic Boomerang was that it was adventures, and somebody had a boomerang. When they threw it, mm. time stopped. Until the boomerang came back and they caught it and then time would start again, right? Which is a great idea for a a kid's show. And I'll tell you, it was like the magic boomerang had been thrown in John Lewis that day. Just everything just stopped. Everything stopped. It was like the birds stopped singing outside. Everything went completely (laughs) silent. And then his mother... Ran after him and chased him around. I can't. I can't remember whether she caught him or not. But I remember chasing her, chasing him. And this, this all must have been a, a wail of anguish. All these pieces of, of porcelain all over the floor in John Lewis. Cowabunga! Now the reason I ask is I was reading today about a visitor to um, an art fair in Miami who uh, knocked over a, a, a sculpture by a chap. By the name of Jeff Coons. Oh yeah. Um yeah. a balloon dog sculpture this was. 
and it knocked over, shattered into a hundred pieces, worth forty-two thousand wow. dollars. And um, obviously, the gag is that's the fifth worst outcome for a balloon on U.S. soil in recent <laughs> weeks. Um, uh. But uh, that led me to research other um, possible uh, incidents, and what what I came across was this um, headline um, that Taiwan people in Taiwan have been in big trouble in the National Palace Museum where they've admitted to breaking three, not one, not two, three Ming and uh, Qing dynasty artefacts worth a combined total of $77 million. That's a bad... Does it say what the artefacts were? It was um, a bowl... Uh, and a teacup and a plate. Wow. And they were uninsured. Oh. Can you imagine? But how, Why would would... Be, how could you insure something like that? Could you insure? Well, I'm not an insurance agent. You would have noticed that. I'm but sure how could you, you can. Can you? I'm sure you can. Lloyds of London, three things here, a bowl, a teacup, and what was the other one? A plate. A plate. 77 million, you've got to be joking a specialist insurer would uh, would take that on quite happily because you know the odds. The, how many Ming and Qing um, artifacts are there in the world? A good few. <laughs> I've done the maths. There's a good few. Uh, so anyway, um, other notable breakages that have occurred over the years include um, a Monet worth fifteen million bucks. Yeah. Um, the uh, I'm going to have to guess at the, how to pronounce this bit. I'm going to go with Argentoil. <laughs> That's definitely not it, but it'll do. <laughs> Argentoil basin with a single sailboat. Right. Okay. Um, a chap called Andrew Shannon was in the National Gallery of Ireland, uh, where the painting was on display. And decided to punch it. No. And caused three big rips. Oh. Um, it was repaired. Uh, took eighteen months, and it's now behind some glass, apparently. Yes, they, they, the, the the more expensive ones um, that are displayed these days tend to be behind bulletproof glass as well. Mm. I've never understood the the thing about um, protesters destroying works of art mm. uh, or to prove a point. I don't know what you know. I well, we do know because it 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 gives whatever they're protesting about. Um, column headlines. Yeah. Um, well, I think. I mean, yeah, but taking I, it I, out on a Suzanne. Yeah, I hear you. But then, you know, I just wish they weren't in a position where they felt like they had to do that in the first. I agree. Place. I agree with that. And also, I mean, we could get into the fact that the artworks are stupidly inflated, and mm. you know, you, you could have, you could have the Suzanne, and you could have an equally brilliant painting next to it by Fred Bloggs. Mm. And uh, one goes for several million, and the other one doesn't attract a buyer at all. Yeah. Um, but there we are. That's um, art for you. The uh, there's another couple here. So the um, the first fifteenth uh, century Giovanni de Ambrogio. I I have to say your your pronunciation today is spot on. I'll give that another run if you like with a with a more authentic Italian accent. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> what am I saying? <laughs> a Giovanni di Ambrogio oh, no, uh, statue done. Yeah, of the Virgin yeah. Mary. So this statue 
Uh, Our numbers just went through the roof in Rome. (laughs) This statue stood holding her hand up in the ancient symbol of uh, of grace, right? Oh, okay. A graceful... uh, So, um, a man from Missouri uh, was visiting uh, Florence and decided that um, he would give this statue a high five. And uh, I know, right? I mean, the the cliches. The fifty-five-year-old. You you don't even have to finish that. I mean, it writes itself, doesn't it? He's wearing a baseball cap, obviously, (laughs) and uh, drinking a Bud Light. And the arm goes halfway across the square. Uh, I don't know his name, but you know who you are. You're almost certainly listening. And let me tell you, you're a plonker. You're a plonker. Uh, So, uh, anyway. You win this um, week's Plonker of the Week. Plonker of the Week. And um, the $143 million Picasso stumble. This one is headlined. Uh, This is an article in um, escape.com, if you'd like to track it down for yourself. Um, the Metropolitan Museum of Art in Manhattan has been home to the Cubist Masters, the actor, since 1952. But uh, in 2010, during an adult education class, I imagine that they're teaching adults to do art okay. uh, in this in a museum of art. That would make sense, wouldn't it? Possibly. A woman lost her balance, fell over, and tore a six-inch gash. In the Picasso masterpiece. Oh, so she just went. Yeah, she, she listed to the port, put her arm out, straight through the Picasso. Yeah, that was a badly placed Picasso. And then this is my favourite. It's uh, more Ching vases. Uh, three of them with a combined total of nine hundred thousand um, dollars. The Fitzwilliam Museum in Cambridge. Um, I don't know if this is in Massachusetts or uh, the Fens. But anyway, one of those Cambridges um, decided that the best place to display the trio of Ching vases was at the bottom of a staircase. A handrail-free staircase. Nick Flynn, six foot, just under 90 kilos, tripped at the top of the stairs Uh, and fell uh, into the first one, which then... Toppled. In a rare case of Ching uh, Valley Domino Rally, um, <laughs> knocked into the second, which then knocked over the third. Oh, wonderful. Uh, this is the denouement of that story, which seems a little unfair to me. 400 pieces in total, and Nick was banned. Oh, I mean, the, the person fella. who put the prizes there should have been banned. Uh, the person who That's didn't a... put the handrail there should have been banned, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I feel we should. Let's launch a campaign. Uh, Nick Flynn. Should yes. be readmitted to the Fitzwilliam Museum in Cambridge, either over there or over here. Indeed, and if you uh, if you'd like to take part, then uh, we can be reached at the usual addresses. The far end of the bar at gmail dot com. You say addresses. There's only one. We haven't got a postal address. It's have not we? like we're at you know White Ladies Road. That's a, sh- that's a shame yes, because, wherever it was. because my dear lady wife told me today that we have some stamps, oh. which we have to get rid of because they're going out of date. They're, they're doing different kinds of stamps now. What were you going to do? Send me a letter about the podcast? No, we're just trying to get rid of stamps, basically. So <laughs> we will write to anyone. If you'd like me to well, write to you, then uh, write to me first and I'll send you uh, a letter by return. People, Can what, I... people we, what we could do is people could write to us at the address that doesn't exist and then we could send them a self-addressed envelope with the stamp on. 
Remember, you, that used to be a thing, didn't it? Um, yeah. You'd have to send a send a, a stamped addressed envelope. A self-addressed envelope with a stamp. With a stamp on it. Yeah. yeah. If you didn't put a stamp on it, you wouldn't get it back. Absolutely. Come with me. Come with me to Harvard. Mm. Oh. If you would. Uh, the oldest and most acclaimed institute of higher learning on the continent of North America. Home of eight different presidents and more than 125 Nobel Prize winners. Ooh. And also... Eight presidents? Yes. And also... And 125 Nobel Prize winners. And yeah. also, one time, a student who swallowed a live goldfish for a bet. Of course. I mean, yeah. Wait, was it this, this uh, one of the presidents? Was, well, <laughs> but it could have been. Could have been a bush. I don't know. Um, it, we, history doesn't tell us. Uh, no. However, this this would have been just kind of brushed off as student antics. Mm. Student swallows live goldfish. Yeah. However, it spawned a slew of imitators, starting Ooh. a national firestorm of goldfish-related controversy. <sighs> Dear, the poor goldfish. The year is 1939, and for some reason lost to history in alcohol. <laughs> You'll love his name. Harvard freshman Lotrop Withington Jr. <laughs> the junior's the thing, isn't it? There's, a, there's already been a Lothrop Withington, and now there's a junior. Yep. Uh, he accepted a $10 bet that he wouldn't swallow a live goldfish. The future captain of industry swallowed the wriggling creature, and then... Nothing. That was all he did. <laughs> he swallowed a goldfish, right? Yeah, what, what were they supposing was going to happen? Well, exactly. I mean, you, you expect something momentous to happen. He's growing uh, some, gills. Some no. kind of alien event where, you know, John Hurt on the table, having had a fine breakfast, um, suddenly yeah. and out pops the goldfish. And I'll tell you what, the one thing that happened was, it's probably never been reported, a slippery <laughs> But apart from that, very little. <laughs> Somehow, word of Lotrop's legendary deed spread virally across the nation's colleges and campuses. Mm -hmm. And soon everybody was swallowing goldfish in order to, um, you'll never believe this, impress the girls. Oh. And some swallowed them to gross people out, and some people swallowed them to get their daily supply of omega-3 fatty acids. I don't <laughs> believe that final one. It's hard to say, really. Uh, and over the next few weeks, goldfish swallowing became such a thing that schools started banning it. Good. So, so you'd go into school in 1939 and um, you would have an assembly and the teacher would stand up after you'd sung All Things Bright and Beautiful and say, no swallowing goldfish. <laughs> Today's notices. It is banned. And they threatened to expel anyone caught uh, swallowing goldfish. The US Public Health Service even put out a warning to all would-be swallowers about the dangers of tapeworms and diseases that could be lurking inside the still-living fish. Good, yeah. And then three months after it started, the craze suddenly ended. I tell you what, if you get tapeworm from swallowing a live goldfish, you've got exactly what you deserve. People will occasionally do it today. You do that, <sighs> that thing at a party where you get a little bit of carrot. And yeah. you, you, you hover next to an aquarium and then okay. you just put your, your hand into the aquarium with the carrot. And they did that on candid camera. OK. Where, you know, people didn't know they were being filmed and then somebody would put a bit of carrot into an aquarium and then eat it. Mm. And people would look, he just ate the goldfish. <laughs> he just, what, did, did 
did you and you just watch people's reactions anyway uh, it all kind of came to a, a crushing end three months after it started people occasionally still do it today but the world record of 300 goldfish in a single sitting please come on please like anyone was counting set in 1974 but goldfish swallowing was a thing and over just as quickly and mysteriously as it began. Well, People get bored so quickly, don't they? All the world champions were suffering with tremendous uh, issues with tapeworm. That's probably why. Um, There's a very funny thing on the television the other day. I think Michael McIntyre's big show um, where he does a candid camera kind of thing. And um, uh, a couple had gone along to, a, a so say, a, an aquarium. They were there for an entirely different reason. Um, and the fella uh, leading the con um, was putting fish food in their drink. And it was, mm. of course, it wasn't fish food at all, but they, they were convinced it was. Mm. And of course, he'd fed a little bit into an aquarium. And oh my goodness, there. It's lovely, to, actually. That whole candid camera thing is very funny. If you go back to the 19, late 60s, early 70s, when it was a big show, both yeah. in America and here. Uh, there was, was a guy Beedle, called Beadle. Beadle, Beadle, Beadle about Beadle's about was 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 kind of candid camera for the eighties and nineties. Yes, yeah. uh, but before that, there was a show called Candid Camera, and the yeah. the lead back guy was a guy called Jonathan Routh, who who would just you know put a hat on. Nobody ever recognised him. One of the great things that they did was um, <laughs> they took the engine out of a car and uh, they positioned it on a slight incline just above a garage forecourt and they push the car and Jonathan Routh in the car steers it onto the garage forecourt right up to the petrol pump right and um, he says uh, fill her up and uh, oh could you check the oil please these are the days when a guy used to come out and fill your car up and also check your oil do your windscreen and all that so he pops the bonnet up comes the bonnet there's no engine (laughs) and that guy's what? He said, well, you know, it's running all right just now. I've just come from Oxford. <laughs> what do you mean you come from Oxford? What? It's just superb. And they do it to two or three garages, you know. Very, yeah. very funny. Great. The simplest things. The yeah. simplest things. Takes sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. Now, um, eagle-eared listeners may have heard the helicopter just coming into land. Ah. It's obviously your, your ride home this evening. It is, stopping yes. stopping at the fish shop for goldfish and chips, are you? Well, well <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm with the AHRH in the heli, heli, Heliocopita uh, this evening, and we will be stopping off um, uh, for some goldfish and chips on the way. But uh, until the next time. Nice to see you. Time. Yes, and you. Reservoir. Cheers. Doodle pip. That's time at the far end of the bar. You've been listening to Richard Lewis and Ben Orr. Find the fellas on all the socials. Just search hashtag TFEOTB or send them an email. It's thefarendofthebar at gmail.com. Most importantly, spread the word. Tell your friends and enemies, colleagues and family about this amazing podcast you've been listening to. We'll love you forever. Forever.